start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis in Sydney. And I'm Tim Burrows in Tasmania. Today, how the media covered the election. What next for Labor's new communications minister? And the TV networks do battle for the last big US studio deal. Unmade. Tim, how was your weekend? Morning, mate. Look, it... It, it was elongated, I suppose, because I did stay up. Oh, and by the way, spoiler warning, if you haven't listened to the result of the EPL or watched the result of the EPL, um, fast forward about one or two minutes. Go go for two minutes for safety. Um, do it now. There was a chance. No, I ended up waking up about 1.30 in the morning to watch the second half of the, uh, the last games of the EPL of the season, which were... They say you couldn't script it, but, you know, actually scriptwriters are quite imaginative. And I imagine they, the way they would have written it would have been Manchester City with about 15 minutes to go, being 2-0 down and needing to win, which was exactly what happened coming back 3-2. So what a thrilling end to the season. So uh, what a way to uh, wreck my sleep patterns for the start of the week. How about you? Well, I was tuned into a, an, another sporting event, surprisingly enough. I was up at around the same time. Maybe I was in bed by then, having watched the Spanish Grand Prix. Spoiler alert on that one. You've probably skipped ahead already, but just in case you haven't, spoiler alert for the F1. Great race for Max Verstappen. So another long night for me, but in exciting news, Tim, I'm recording this podcast with you on 5G. That is quite exciting. When did this development happen? In the northernmost northern parts of Sydney, we have 5G and boy, is it far. I don't know who to thank for that. Should I thank Optus? Should I thank Michelle Rowland? Should I? You literally just turned it on and it was there this morning or something. Well, not this morning. A few days ago, I started my weekend very excitedly when my Wi-Fi crapped out and my phone suddenly registered three bars of 5G. Right, and let's the get to it. Fantastic. Let's make the most of that excellent 5G then and get to it. Where do we start this week? I think there's only one place to start, isn't there, Tim? The election, the media coverage, the results, how it all went down. Uh, so, Tim, why don't we start off with the, the media coverage of the elections? Uh, give me your take. Yeah, look, and I, you know, this this is something of a review of the, uh, the, the the papers and the online publications. So just for the record, I do know that the Batuta Advocate is a satirical publication. I'm going to start with the Batuta Advocate's take this morning, um, which has been pretty harsh on how the media covered the election. Uh, the headline of the article, which you'll, you'll find in the show notes, how fucking embarrassing for all of you. Australia's, in quotes, traditional media, heavyweights, have woken up this morning feeling more irrelevant than ever before after realising they have absolutely zero influence over the Australian public and even less insight into their actual lives. So that that's a bit of a taste of how the potato advocate goes at it. The, 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 the issue being there, 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 there's been a... a deal of negativity about how the press covered the whole thing. Now, one of the problems I have is I spend far more time than is healthy on Twitter, and that gives you a really skewed view of what the world thinks of things. 
you know, because it's a it, it is a loud vocal minority, and that loud vocal minority absolutely hated so much of the process, um, particularly the gotchas, those moments at press conferences when um, difficult or not so difficult questions were asked of the politicians, um, particularly once Anthony Albanese. Um, failed to immediately remember the unemployment rate towards the start of the campaign versus how, you know, Green's leader Adam Bant handled it with Google it, mate, when someone had tried to ask him a, a gotcha, which is actually a far uh, far smarter way of handling it, I think. Um, so I guess you, you understand the frustration. So let me ask you something, though. Does the media really, you know, much in line with what the Batuta was saying, does the media actually have any sort of real influence here? Because during the beginning of the campaign, we had the first debate go and there was a lot of talk after that of what actually, what difference would that actually make to the campaign? And essentially, the, the rhetoric seemed to be, unless one of the candidates made some absolutely horrendous error, it really wouldn't make much difference then that coverage really wouldn't help that much or hinder that much hey look that's a really great question because you know it was um or a little bit more than two decades since um again a, 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 a rupert murdoch news corporation title the sun campaigned hard for uh the conservative government in the uk i think for john major at the time and he had an unlikely win and they proudly put on the front page the day after the election, it was the Sun what won it, you know, so actually claiming the victory. Um, now, of course, you know, the, the, the newspapers themselves sort of tap dance around how much relevance they have or not. But, yeah, the fact was um, it was hard to miss where particularly the News Corp um, title stood, which was, um, you know, pretty pretty much firmly with... I think the exception of the NT News in the uh, coalition camp. Um, and maybe it didn't make much difference. Maybe it made a tighter race. We can't know that, of course. But, um, yeah, certainly uh, certainly, if there was hoping to be a kind of demonstration of power, then... The, the, you know, the, the outcome was not the one that many of those newspapers were campaigning for. Um, but I suppose the other interesting thing when we talk about the papers and you know this was tv and radio and everything as well was um the sheer volume of advertising do you think that made a difference look if you're the united australia party it certainly didn't uh there was obviously a lot of chatter going on about how much they were spending particularly on tv i note the media diary in the australian uh, suggesting a hundred million dollars plus on uh, the ad spend on, on TV, and uh, let's uh, go through the highlights, of which there are very few for them. Uh, Craig Kelly has lost his seat of Hughes in Sydney, and um, they've pretty much won nothing. So the, the massive ad spend there from the UAP would suggest didn't really get them very far. I'm well and truly over yellow. I don't think another brand's going to be able to use it for a while. <laughs> it's memorable. If, if nothing else, it's memorable. Look, did, did it make a difference to any of the other parties? Uh, I think we're going to have to do a bit of a deep dive after the fact uh, on that one. The one thing that I did or did strike me out of this campaign was the the coalition going negative from the start, but Labor going positive 
uh, at the start and then sort of turning uh, a bit towards a negative slant towards the end. That was an interesting strategy. Um, some of the campaign creatives, uh, I felt, left a lot to be desired. I'm not really sure why we were going uh, back into J.R. Tolkien kind of areas towards the end. Um, You'll have to have, maybe I missed that one. What was the Hobbit reference then? Both of them came out with Gollum-esque ads, ScoMo as Gollum, Albanese as Gollum. It hardly uh, original, but also I think they've missed that opportunity by a, a number of years now. Nothing that we... Kevin 07 was memorable. I thought that was great campaign work, but there was nothing to to that sort of level and you know therefore did it did it really make a difference? I, I'm not sure at the moment. Look, I suppose one one thing was I know people got very like certainly if you sort of again looked on social media or the forums, um, people became very tired of that hole in my budget song. Um, oh, I uh, loved it every morning on the trip to school, Tim. That was yes. sarcasm, by the way. Yes. Um, and the other thing that struck me was so, you know, as you know, I'm in Tasmania, so I'm in, you know, in a marginal seat, which actually was retained by um, by the coalition. And one of the things that I experienced was obviously I was seeing the, the local TV signal and the sheer quantity of ads was incredible because obviously the spend was in the marginals. And sometimes you would see in a single ad break, two or three different ads, sometimes completely different creative, all from the coalition, all negative about Labour. And I noticed some of the authorisations were from Canberra and some of the authorisations were from um, Liberals and Hobart. So there was so much being spent. Now, the fact that somewhat unexpectedly, um, the, 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 the constituency, I mean, which, as I say, had been a marginal, was held by the Liberals, um, does make me wonder whether certainly whether the, the the blitz was really on maybe maybe it did just work um but let's turn to the the night itself um hey look with the exception of sbs i think everybody had a live panel uh, all night um how did the networks do yeah that was a an interesting one tim uh, the abc Absolutely smashed it. Now, all of the networks brought out their big guns, unsurprisingly. Uh, the ABC with 730's Lee Sales and the insiders, David Spears. Massive audience, 910,000 uh, tuned in. Uh, now, the Australians re- reported these uh, figures. Uh, the nine network uh, came in second by a, a long way back. Again, Big Guns brought out Peter Overton and Alicia Loxley, 397,000 viewers. And these are just the metro numbers, aren't they? They don't even take into account the regional. Yep, um, from Oztam. Now, very close race with the Seven Network, who used Natalie Barr and Michael Usher with 373,000. And then, well, look... You'd probably really be going to Sky News after that with Kieran Gilbert and Peter Credlin uh, with uh, Andrew Clennell as well with 125,000. Where does that leave 10? I, I hear, well, probably very few people asking. Look, unsurprisingly uh, at the bottom, but the numbers, uh, wow. Again, they did bring out their their big gun in Sandra Sully. Um, and while I admire Sandra's journalism, uh, 78,000. 
thousand viewers for Network Ten, and I'm guessing you're probably surprised by that. If I remember rightly, Ten's share for the night was five or six percent. It was pretty low. Yeah, you know, look, like I said, I don't think anyone's massively surprised by that, aside from perhaps the 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 sheer margin that the ABC had, um, you know, with, with almost three times uh, the amount of, of the next network. Uh, so, Tim, the most important thing now, from the media industry perspective, moving forward with a Labor government, how is Labor going to regulate everything? Yeah, so the first thing to be clear on is as we record this, and we might be a bit victim of time, we assume it's Michelle Rowland, but we don't know yet because Labour's been holding back on announcing the ministers. Um, we, we we think probably at some point on Monday that cabinet announcement gets made, but she's been the communicate shadow communications minister. So the assumption seems to be it'll probably be her. Um, I, I, I interviewed her a couple of years back um, for the Mumbrella podcast and um I was um, I was really impressed with her grasp of the brief. She wasn't like some politicians who sort of parachute in and, you know, takes them a, a couple of years to get up to speed because she'd worked in that sector. But it also struck me that she was probably very much of the status quo. She'd come from that world, wasn't looking to shake up anything in particular. So, um, you know, a few things on the plate. Um, one of the... It's not even big, but big-ish ones is News Media Bargaining Code. There's an interesting piece um, from the Judith Nielsen Institute um, today where um, Rod Sims, who, who did run the Australian Competition Consumer Commission, when they uh, created the News Media Bargaining Code, is uh, making a, a, an argument, and we've heard it a few times now, that maybe Facebook hasn't played by the spirit of the agreement so far. So he has a couple of conclusions um, of which I think really, you know, it's worth reading his his full report. It's only 13 pages, but he really points to two big questions. One is, should Facebook be designated? So that's fascinating. That will be the big one early on Michelle Rowland's plate. And then the other one, which I think is intriguing, is... One of the reasons everyone's crying foul is because a bunch of them were able to be um, recognised under the definition of a news provider, which the ACMA, the Australian uh, Communications and Media Authority, recognises. He points to Google's point in the kind of review that maybe the definition is too loose. Maybe some companies that shouldn't have been recognised as public interest news providers were, which is quite interesting because, for instance, when I was at Mumbrella and looking at doing that, we would have probably qualified. Now, whether we deserved to as a B2B publication is another question. So that, that, that I think, is one that hasn't been raised that much so far. So that's interesting. Um, and then the other issues, ABC funding. So Labour has already said it will move to a five-year funding cycle. Doesn't completely take it away from the politics, uh, but probably helps uh, from the ABC's point of view. Um, and anti-siphoning. Um, the uh, former, now former, communications minister Paul Fletcher kicked that can down the road. So uh, which sporting events uh, remain protected on free-to-air television, 
will now be the decision of Michelle Rowland. And you'd hope it would be as part of a much more thoughtful, wider ranging process, looking at the whole environment rather than just reissuing a list of protected events. So we'll have to wait and see about that one as well. All right, coming up next, the last of the TV big game is up for grabs. Unmade. So we'll turn next to the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. There's a big TV content deal being negotiated. Yeah, that's right, Tim. Probably one of the most important deals coming up, which is the NBC Universal. Uh, Now a lot of the Australian uh, media executives uh, have flown out to uh, Los Angeles to discuss uh, the content slate with NBC Universal. And as uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, Zoe Samios, has uh, reported, there are deals on the table already, such as the importance uh, for a lot of the local players to uh, really get the content from NBC Universal. Now, uh, currently, uh, Samios is reporting that... uh, the business is looking for up to three times more than what the current deal is worth, which sits at 100 million US uh, per year. Uh, now, there's some pretty big shows in that um, as well, including uh, The Office, Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, Downton Abbey. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty uh, important deal, particularly being that, we're not entirely sure what's happening with some of the other major players uh, in the space. And uh, obviously streaming uh, has uh, made it a lot more complex in terms of uh, grabbing these deals and, and making the most of the content. Not to mention the fact that AFL and other sports rights are, are going to be in play as well and require significant funding uh, to get those deals as well. So there's some big money being thrown around uh, at the moment and there'll be a few different opportunities. But this one's particularly important. Uh, you'd argue for seven, possibly more than, than others, potentially Foxtel uh, as well. But um, Tim, why don't you tell me why this is possibly more important than any other deals we've seen um, recently? But one of the key reasons is it's the last one left because most of the other TV studios in the US now are tied up with their own streaming services and NBC Universal's Peacock hasn't launched in Australia yet. So one of one of the things I'd been trying to puzzle out was whether it would be this binary thing of they'd either launch or do a deal. Um, and what Zoe reports in, in, in this article is there'll be a clause that lets them pull back the rights with six months' notice. Um, so it looks like what's going to happen is they're not quite ready to come to Australia yet, uh, and in the meantime, they might as well get some money. Um, and as you say, for everybody, there are different reasons why it's important. You know, for, for Foxtel, they're likely to lose their HBO content, so they need, need something to, to fill that hole. Uh, for for nine stan again it's a it, it, it's a content issue so for instance you know parks and rec is a really big part of the standback catalogue at the moment so you know that sort of moving off the service would ob- obviously leave leave a hole so um that i suppose the thing that fascinates me is we're only about i suppose five six years away from 
all of the TV companies downgrading their studio deals with the US studios because the attitude was they weren't they weren't getting the audiences on broadcast television, so they weren't worth paying what they were. So the days of the big studio deals had seemed to be over. Now, all of a sudden, you know, the um, the most valued customers in the room are the uh, the Australian TV guys again when they uh, when they when, when when they swan into New York. So um, it is a bit of an uh, an interesting turnabout versus the point when uh, everybody was uh, was scrapping their contracts a few years back. Speaking of how times have changed. Uh... Let's go to a piece from AP News over the weekend as well about uh, the broadcast TV landscape and how the upfronts uh, have evolved because that's a particularly interesting one as well. Yeah, yeah. Look, this was an interesting piece because it, it, it was the the upfronts, as, as you say, in the US sort of over the last sort of week and few days, which these days sort of is a much wider thing in the US. A lot of the kind of the... Um, the wider media companies run their own upfronts at the same time, and it tends to be on a kind of over a more concentrated period than the Australian network TV networks do it, or, 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 or wider media companies. But the yeah, the AP piece really makes the point that there isn't a big razzmatazz anymore about the broadcast schedule uh, because so much of it's gone to streaming. You know, it makes the point that several of the TV network bosses didn't even make it on onto stage. For the, uh, for, for, for the upfronts this time, which is a sort of signal of where the power lies between streaming versus broadcast. Now, thinking about it, we are starting to see this trend in Australia, but maybe we didn't see it through that lens. I remember when um, TEN did their upfronts last year, they talked as much or possibly even slightly more about Paramount Plus and Paramount Plus content. And it kind of puzzled a few of the kind of traditional players in the market who were like, why are they talking about this stuff that isn't even, at that stage anyway, advertising supported versus the broadcast slate? And I think some people perceived it as being because, you know, 10 is at the moment a week third when it comes to broadcast ratings. But um, but it might just be that 10 is just a little bit further ahead on the global curve because it's got a, on the, on the global curve, because it's got, a, uh, an overseas owner, an international owner. But, um, but yeah, the patterns are definitely changing. Is this something they can blame on, on COVID, Tim? I don't think so. It's an interesting question. Um, no, I, I don't think so. I think it is a change. This isn't a one-year thing. Look, my, my guess is that is a change that we're stuck with now. But what do you think? I think the Australian market's obviously slightly different to what we see in the US. Like you said, though, it was interesting when 10 pulled out the the Paramount Plus guns uh, recently. There's an appetite in the local market to be back at upfronts. Obviously, a smaller industry, uh, arguably less upfronts. I think what I heard more than anything else was a condensing of, of the time it took to run an upfront, but still definitely uh, an urge to have everyone there, uh, you know, showing off the, the slate and of I, content. But if you can do it in the hour, and I guess better. the question will be when it comes to nines upfronts, will we see Stan a bit more front and center versus nine? 
100% where will the Sydney Morning Herald and the age fit in as well because that seemed to be a, a, a bigger play for them as well. The, the overall uh, media space and not just the TV space too. So all very interesting to see how that plays out as we return to physical uh, upfronts. Well, that is where we had better leave it for today. But well, Amanda will be back tomorrow with Damo drilling into some data for our paying subscribers on CEO salaries. And we'd love to know what you think of it, of course, at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. And before we go, a quick bit of housekeeping. We are now pretty much sold out for Tuesday night's debate on marketing in a cost of living crisis. If you jump on the website straight away, you might just be able to grab a ticket, but otherwise we're going to have to close it off. Go to tinyurl forward slash unmade event. And if you haven't yet given us a rating in the podcast catcher of your choice, please do so. It helps other people find us. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Total pen. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.